0: praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcast. Good morning saunterers, welcome to a very windy Weymouth for our saunter today in Genesis chapter 25. We're going to pray because that's a really awesome thing to do. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. We ask you to come and bring revelation and insight into our hearts as we look at this passage of scripture, Lord, and we believe that you want to speak to us today. We believe that you are a speaking God who wants to talk to his kids all the time. And so we welcome you in Jesus name. Amen. Good morning, Kathy. Sorry about yesterday. I had a logistic kind of challenge that wouldn't work, so I just had to pull out. Sorry about that. Um, we're on eight, uh, Genesis chapter 25 today, and it says here, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. He was an old guy, and yet he still fancies his chances with the ladies and is successful. So he manages to Um, get another wife and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak and Shua. That is a lot of kids for Abraham to father in the last, I don't know, he's already 150 or I don't know how old he is, he's old. Anyway, he's still going well here and is full of beans and he has all these extra children <coughs> to Keturah. Good morning, Fran. Uh, yeah, it's certainly blowy. And so then Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asher, Asherim, Letushim and Leumim. Gosh, I hope there's not an exam on this these names because I will fail. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Anok, Abida and elda all these were the children of Keturah. So Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham also gave gifts. And while he was living, sorry, whilst he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Good morning, Mary. And this is interesting um, because we don't know that Abraham did have um, any other women in his kind of harem, his collection of wives. We know he had Sarah, we know he slept with Hagar, so she technically was a concubine, I suppose. And then he married Keturah, who was also a wife, and Abraham was widowed, and so that's a legitimate um, thing to do if you're widowed and you know we know that marriage is as long as we both shall live and that covenant expires when one of us dies and so Abraham was free to marry um, but it says here that he gave gifts to his other sons but he gave everything he had to Isaac so Isaac was the one who inherited the full measure of Abraham's wealth but obviously Ishmael would have, he would have taken good care of Ishmael and also these other sons. Now, we know as well that wherever these guys were went, they started people groups and nations that were named after themselves. We don't get to hear of them all, but we certainly do hear of the descendants of Midian, the Midianites. They, they became a people who weren't always a great blessing to the Israelites and sometimes became their enemy. And so we hear of them later on in the Bible in the biblical narrative so um, here we have Abraham he's destined to be a father of nations and it seems that's what he does is produce nations Um, when he has children they become they become the originators of nations in themselves good morning Pete and good morning Adrian and that's a really interesting thing isn't it there's something about God's destiny and call on our lives that just happens it's like God has put us on the earth to do a particular thing and by his grace it kind of happens and Abraham became the father of a multitude of nations and so verse 7 it says these are the days of the years of Abraham's life 175 years that is old Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. That is an expression that we see in the Bible. Many times he was gathered up to his people. It's kind of like a sense that he's returned to his the predecessors and his ancestors. And they're all together now in this place that God has prepared for them. So there's a sense of kind of the circle of life or whatever is, has turned its full circle. And Abraham has now gone back to his ancestors Um, but he's lived a good age and I would imagine looking back on his life it would have been a really interesting look back and seeing those high points of God's encounters with him and his journey with God his pilgrimage to the promised land and his final delivery of a son a child of promise followed by a a number of other um, children I'm just going to quit whatsapp because it makes pings righty so um so there we go so that's abraham and then uh, it says isaac and ishmael his sons buried him in the cave of machpelah which is the one he just bought to bury sarah a few years before in fact a number of years before now in the field of ephron the son of zohar it's interesting isn't it sarah died and Abraham was a hundred and something, but then he's lived for another, I don't know, 60 odd years after Sarah died. And 60 years is a lifetime for us, isn't it? It's a long time. And so for us, it seems like, oh, he's only just bought this cave to bury his wife when she's died, but actually, she died a lifetime ago for us. And <laughs> it's an incredible time scales, isn't it? It's hard to get our little heads round anyway so they buried him in that cave the field that abraham purchased from the hittites there abraham was buried with sarah his wife after the death of abraham god blessed isaac his son and isaac settled in 'er birlahiwa i can't pronounce that place um so anyway god's favor is now continuing on into isaac and his story And he's now the one whose story we're going to pick up. These are the descendants of Ishmael. So not to forget him, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Abdeel, and Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Nafish and Kadima. Interesting. <laughs> Again if you're stuck for a name for your child look no further. There's some good ones. <laughs> Lucky teachers who have to try and pronounce them. These are the sons of Ishmael and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. Again, we have that expression, gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. So it's there's this sense of Ishmael and his tribes that came out of his descendants being somewhat in opposition or in a kind of difficult relationship with his kinsmen so he was he settled over against all his kin, kinsmen now we're going to move on so these are the generations of isaac abraham's son abraham fathered isaac and isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of bethuel the aramean of padan aram the sister of laban the aramean to be his wife And Isaac prayed for the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, this is really interesting because Isaac, until now, we don't know about him. He's not been a three-dimensional person. Good morning, Helen. And good morning, Rosemary. He's not been a three-dimensional character. He's just been this son who, you know, who's gone up the mountain and consented to being sacrificed. Thankfully, wasn't needed and so on but we we don't really know much about him we know from the the romantic story that we had that he was out in the fields meditating which indicates he had some kind of internal life with god some kind of relationship going on with god and now we see it kind of breaking out a little bit into three dimensions rebecca is barren she's not been able to conceive the assumption i'm afraid always was that it was the woman who was uh, had the difficulty and anyway the Lord granted his prayer so he prayed the Lord granted his prayer and so this is Isaac's first documented breakthrough account although I would imagine he had certainly been praying for a wife and when she came along I suspect he thought wow God you've answered my prayers here big style but then there would have been some sadness creeping into the relationship as they've not been able to conceive and that disappointment and that crushing, I can't think of anything else type of feeling that comes with childlessness. It's, it's a difficult journey. And But the Lord granted his prayer, which is so cool. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. And then we have the story of sibling rivalry uh, on a kind of legendary scale breaking out here. The children struggled within her. And she said... If it is thus, why is it happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So she was so concerned by the turmoil going on inside her belly with these two children there that she was like, God, what is going on? I need to get to the bottom of this. And so she actually inquires of the Lord. and She says, God, come on, talk to me. What is happening to me? And the Lord spoke to her. Verse 23, it says the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red and his body like a hairy cloak. <laughs> I always want <wondering>. yeah. <laughs> And so they called his name Edom, Esau, rather, not orangutan, um, <laughs> as you were thinking. Um, and afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, which means grasp, grasps at the heel. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So God has answered her prayer, but it's not without a challenge. This, this, um, pregnancy is a big deal and there's like a war going on inside her womb and it's uh, uh, it's uh so so confusing that she's asking god and saying god what is going on inside me and he tells her there are two nations so once again we've got this production of nations going on here we're still each of these individuals is going to have descendants where their their descendants have far-reaching implications for the earth and for the nations of the earth and so there's something going on which is really important and god makes this distinction at the time before these babies are even born and he says the older will serve the younger And so now we'll come on to see what that means. I'm just going to say something. There is a theme emerging. So we had Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was born first. He was born by a contrivance rather than a promise. It was a human engineered job. It wasn't God's promise being fulfilled. And God clearly identified Isaac as the son who was chosen. Right now here we've got two seemingly equal contenders to be the the one in line if you like to become the one whose um, line whose offspring are the blessing on the earth and but god is making a distinction now between two boys of exactly the same age he's saying i'm gonna choose that the older will serve the younger now there are all kinds of legends apparently good morning pete all kinds of legends in hebrew culture about this this process going on in the womb which we won't get into but esau is born first and he's the strong hairy masculine one and he comes out but i jacob is holding on to his heel and so they call him the grasper the one who grasps at the heel and when these boys grew up esau was a skillful hunter a man of the field while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, the interesting word there is that word quiet, when, when I think we've often characterised Isaac or um, Jacob rather as being somewhat um, less manly and less rugged and, you know, more, perhaps should we say feminine in some of his kind of preferences he preferred to be hanging around the tent and he was his favorite the favorite of his mother whereas there's Esau out there this hairy muscular outdoorsy rugged guy going out hunting and doing exactly what his dad hoped he would do and bringing home lots of lovely game and cooking it for his dad and his dad would be like oh my son you know you're amazing oh you're you're a you're my boy, you're my boy, come here son, you know, and it would be like, what have you got today? He uh, he saw what have you caught today? And it would, there was this kind of connection and rapport and friendship with the father and the son, and you would think, why would God choo- not choose a rugged, outdoorsy guy? Why would he choose an indoorsy guy like um, Jacob, who seems to be kind of looking out for the main chance and the word there interestingly for um quiet is tam, tam i probably am pronouncing it wrong t-a-m and it's the same word <coughs> that god uses when he speaks of job and he says have you considered my servant job he is blameless and it's the same word and that word there um, that's used to describe jacob can also be Uh, used to describe blameless and perfect and whole, complete. So he's, in a sense, there's something wholesome about Jacob, although people have made him out to be scheming and kind of low, actually, in God's estimation, this guy was the right one. It's like he's the complete guy for this job. And I think it's difficult sometimes when God makes a selection and chooses somebody to bless with a particular ministry or a particular role and He doesn't choose somebody else and try as they might it isn't it isn't their their call. they're not called to it and then there's that kind of evidence of God's grace on somebody's life sometimes and you kind of think, why you? Why did you get to do that? Why are you so successful in that? Why is God blessing you in that? And what about me? And why am I not? And so we need to sort that out in our own hearts and find a way to find God's favour in what he's called us to. It seems that with these two boys there was some tension even when they were growing up and it's always difficult when One parent favours one child over another. That is a bad thing to do. And we need to really guard our hearts as parents. Even as we look at the different strengths and abilities of our children, we should not make comparisons. We should not favour one over the other. But we should be asking God, God, help me to be even-handed and to be gracious to them both in the same way. Otherwise, I'm going to create unnecessary i'm going to aggravate things unnecessarily but here we go verse 29 once when jacob was cooking stew esau came in from the field so jacob was at home cooking up a storm esau's been out hunting he came in from the field and he was exhausted and esau said to jacob let me eat some of that red stew for i am exhausted therefore his name was called Edom well they're saying he was called Edom which means red because of the stew but he was also red and hairy so he's probably it was a whole kind it was a combination of things wasn't it that was getting him this nickname and we um Jacob said sell me your birthright now Esau said I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me Jacob said swear to me now So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. It's a really, really interesting, pivotal moment in the relationship. It doesn't make us like Jacob, the fact that Jacob was willing to Prey on his brother's weakness when he was hungry and starving, and he's saying, "God, oh, give me some of that stew." And Jacob's like, hmm, <laughs> "Here's my chance. I shall trade." So he says, "Why well, do you want to do a trade, bro?" And um, and <clears throat> Esau is like, "I don't even care about my birthright. It's no use to me if I'm going to die of starvation." And what we see is Esau is ruled by his passions he's his head is completely his common sense is completely avalanched by his bodily appetites and his hunger and he's allowing those things to um kind of dominate his thinking so much so that his judgment is impaired and he says yeah whatever go on have my birthright. I don't even care no good to me if I'm dead is it Having, and the birthright, incidentally, was what he would inherit from his dad. It was the kind of primary share of the estate that went to the firstborn son. And that was still technically Esau's to have until this moment where he sells it to his brother. And in um, the book of Hebrews, it says, there's this clear warning. It says, do not be godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his birthright as the firstborn son, sold his rights as the firstborn son. And so even the New Testament looks back at Esau and says, this is a godless person. This is someone who didn't value the um, the kind of continuity of the promises of God. And, and therefore, even though God had already decided, we see Esau now kind of, justifying god's decision if you like and saying and demonstrating that god's choice was actually correct and although jacob is a bit he comes across as a schemer and a deceiver um he's actually the one who god has chosen to carry on the family line and to pave the way g um in terms of the ancestors of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, who will come. And so this is an incredible story. We can see that what's happening here is into these two brothers' relationship, which which was fraught from the beginning. We have this sibling rivalry, even in the womb. Um, Don't let anybody tell you that a baby isn't a human being when it's in the womb. And these two guys are jostling for power even in the womb there's this tension and kind of sibling rivalry going on even in the womb and then they carry it on and even when they're kind of getting on with their lives that the tension is still there and it's just waiting for an opportunity to break out Jacob sees his moment his brother's weakness and he just capitalizes on it um, so there we have it. So it's a kind of interesting story. It's gonna we might find some of these ideas about God choosing one over another challenging. but let's pray and just bring our day to the Lord. So Lord, we give you the rest of this day. We ask you to bless us. We thank you, Lord, that we're not called to do exactly the same thing. that each one of us is called to something sl- slightly different or maybe very different from each other. But Lord, help us to trust you and find contentment and joy in what you've called us to do. And Lord, we bless our brothers and our sisters in all the things that you've called them to do as well. And help us never to be in competition with each other, but always spurring each other on and cheering each other on. In Jesus name. Amen. Have an amazing day, you guys. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him. But more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, and Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.